0: Happy Monday. Today, I talked to Joanna Harbour. She is a candidate for U.S. House of Representatives, Oregon's 3rd Congressional District. She is running against incumbent Democrat Earl Blumenauer. Enjoy. On your website, you mentioned you worked as an attorney for a while. What made you want to leave and decide to run for office?
1: Well, um, I quit being an attorney in two thousand. the end of 2016 is when I closed down my law practice. And there were several reasons. Um, One being I had a small town um, law practice out here in Estacada. And financially, it just wasn't making it. And um, as far as being a lawyer, while we have the best justice system in the world, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done to make it a truly just system. And um, to be honest, it just wasn't bringing me joy anymore. So I decided to move on to other things. Um, as far as deciding to run for office, um, a couple people had asked me to run. So I started to think about it and pray about it. and decided um, it was something I was interested in doing and something that I could do and it would give a good option to people in this area. We don't haven't always had someone opposing Earl Blumenauer um, and so I think in 2016 we didn't have anyone um, and so I thought um, that would be a good time for me to put my hat in the ring and see what happens.
0: Yeah and so you also say that you support the Constitution. So if you were in Earl Blumenhauer's seat, how would you handle the Portland riots that are going on right now? So really
1: the riot situation should be handled by the locals. It's the locals' responsibility, specifically the mayor is the commissioner for the police and the way they have it set up in Portland. And he really should be the one handling it and have his police Take control of the situation, and if it was too much for them, he should call on the governor, which I think he did originally call on the governor for National Guard, and she said no. Um, but um, there's not a lot that uh, a congressperson could do besides encouraging and then start the process of maybe doing some laws to encourage change. Um, Ted Cruz has uh, floated the idea if um, local uh, Elected leaders like mayor to decide not to pursue stopping this type of activity, then they could be held financially responsible, um, which kind of makes sense instead of making the taxpayers fit the bill for this type of thing. Um, the individual homes and business owners, they shouldn't have to pay for it. It's not them causing the damage. And um, putting all American taxpayers on the hook for it or even just the local taxpayers is not fair either when they could have put a stop to this a long time ago. Um, So that bill's a good start. You could also um, allow for the president to withhold money. So there are a lot of police departments get federal funding and granting in order to fund a lot of what they do. And you can actually allow for um, the president to withhold that during a period such as this as an incentive to make them do their job. Um, Other than doing things to incentivize them um, and maybe offering advice and encouragement and being an outspoken advocate against violence. um, There's not a lot Congress can do, um, but those are some things they can do.
0: Yeah. And when you said um withhold federal funds to incentivize them do you mean to incentivize the mayor or the police the mayor the police um won't because the mayor's technically the police's mm-hmm. boss
1: um i i i think um th- i believe it's the police chief union who's basically said he wants this stuff to end mm-hmm. i think the police hands are tied um i, I most police officers want to do their job. They want to serve, they want to protect. They don't like their city being turned upside down, I'm pretty sure. So I mean I obviously can't speak for them, they need to speak for themselves, but um I'm pretty sure if they were given the order they'd be happy to put an end to this or if they needed help to request help for maybe the National Guard to come in and um, put an end to it. So it's the mayor, it's really the mayor we have to incentivize. Honestly, um I think maybe the people of Portland need to consider not having the mayor be the police chief and maybe not having a city councilor be the fire chief um, commissioner either. Maybe they should be an actual elected position just for those departments. So those whoever serves in that capacity answers directly to the people and their only concern is the police and their only concern is the fire department not being reelected to mayor or city council or whatever else they have going on. Um, But that's something that would have to be changed within probably the city charter.
0: Cool. Yeah. And so could you talk about um the term limits like what do you support about them I, and um like how long do you think a term should go for?
1: That is an uh, excellent question. Um I support it because I the founding fathers didn't intend to have never ending politicians who stay there for 24, 33, however many years they can. Um, They intended for regular citizens to go serve and then come back home after their time and live under the laws they just passed. When you don't have to live under those laws, it kind of sets you apart from them. Um, As far as the exact term, um, I've heard several different numbers thrown around, like four terms to six terms for Congress, um, two terms for Senate. Um, Obviously we have two terms set for president um, that happened after FDR, but um, anything around those time periods seem sufficient to me. Um, Maybe even shorter, it really just depends. I know it's kind of hard because you have to learn what you're doing in order to accomplish a lot and you can't probably do that in one term, maybe not even in two. Um, terms and maybe by the third term you can get done what everything you need to get done That also depends on who else is with you in Congress because you're just one person out of a bunch in Congress or in The Senate you're just one person out of a hundred and you have to get the rest a majority to agree with you to pass anything And then it has to go to the next chamber to be passed and then to the president um, So you need some time period there, but definitely not 24 years um, which is what we're working on in this current uh, for Congressional District 3. He's been there for 24 years. So,
0: yeah, I definitely agree with you. And if you were elected to um, the US House of Representatives um, Congress, the third um, district seat, what, what would you do differently that Earl Blumenhauer is or isn't doing? Um, well, one of the things is,
1: is I feel like he represents Portland, yeah. but there's more localities in this district. Um, I feel like he doesn't really represent the Clackamas County portion at all, which I know it's a smaller portion, smaller population, but it's rural. Um, and they have fundamentally different interests than, say, the city does. Um, and so I think it'd be important to represent both the urban the suburban and actually it's three, the urban, suburban and rural um, residents. Cause they all have different needs and they all have different issues that need to be addressed. Um, and I think that needs to happen. Um, also, um, I wouldn't stay as long. I would, um, I would definitely go in, do what I can and leave in a reasonable time um, to go do something else. Um, and I would try and listen to the people, all the people, not just those who are in my party. I think it's important that you serve everybody, even there's going to be people you don't agree with and, but you should still listen to them and hear what they have to say. Sometimes people you don't agree with have amazing ideas. And when you come together and you talk about it and reason with each other, you actually can come up with great solutions that both sides can agree to. And so if you're not listening to everyone, you can't do that. Um, And so I think it's important to listen to everyone and try to represent all the interests of urban and rural and even suburban, um, which is extremely important as because there's different issues facing each of those categories of people.
0: Yeah. And so another um, topic you um, listed that you support is the right to work. Um, What do you mean by that and how will you support the right to work? Basically, I believe the right to work is you have the ability to work. You should be able to work.
1: You shouldn't have to be forced to join a union in order to do a job. Um, And especially if that union is fundamentally opposed to your beliefs and yet they donate to causes with your funds, uh, of course, funds from everybody, but your funds go to causes you disagree with and you're forced to join them in order to work in a certain field. Um, I disagree with that. Um, I think people shouldn't be forced to fund opinions or ideas they don't agree with. Um, and that's kind of what happens with that um, with when involved with unions. And so that's kind of what that idea is getting at um, is people shouldn't be forced to join something, some group in order to um work in a field they want.
0: Yeah. And speaking of um, spending taxpayer money or union um, dues, how would you repair Social Security? So that is actually a very
1: interesting one. Um, there are several ideas out there. Um, I think it really needs to get a group who can come together It's really good at math um and figure out what is the best approach because there's so many ideas from privatizing it um there's um some some good ideas and maybe it's not some lots of ideas out there some are good and some may not be good but really you have to sit down and figure out the math of everything because the number of people we have who's on it now versus the number of people who's going to be on it who's paying into it and all that stuff it really needs to be um figure it out in a way that's fair to everyone, because um, we don't wanna create a system where anyone's gonna be left out. They use the term entitlement, but the thing is, is it's really an earned benefit because everybody has paid into the system, um, or at least everyone who receives it should have paid into it. Um, and I think part of the problem um, is making sure that it's not being taken advantage of um, with regard to um, anyone on the disability side. Um, with regards to illegals um, trying to tap into a system um, and that type of thing we also need to get rid of um, fraud um, and a lot of the problems came because it was supposed to be a trust that was not touched or used for other things and I forget what years it was but at some point um, the Congress decided oh no here's some money let's use it um, Congress has a bad habit of spending money um, constantly and not thinking about the outcomes. So um, it's there's gonna be some hard choices that will need to be made, but the it shouldn't harm people who are currently on the system or close to being on the system. Um, and um, really people who've been paying into it for years shouldn't be harmed either, but the, we will probably end up having to make some difficult choices and um, things that may not sound good on the surface. Um, uh, sorry, I almost started to combine Medicare with this. this is a medi- Medicaid, this is a little different, but um, such as um, raising the age um, or um, if somebody um, is sufficiently wealthy, maybe they lessen their benefits, which that seems very unconservative um, sounding. Um, so um, I haven't finalized a plan because I really think there needs to be a lot of people involved Um, economists, um, people who are really good at math to figure out the best way. And um, I'm still open for ideas and suggestions on this. I know there's a solution out there. We are smart enough in this country to solve any problem when we put our heads together. And that's kind of um, why I'm for social security repair. It needs to be repaired. Um, But I also know that there are um, so many ideas out there and we still need to Figure out which ones are the best and make sure that we're not um, taking away anyone's current benefits and we're not going to harm anyone and leave someone destitute because that is the last thing we need to do when they've paid into the system their entire life.
0: Yeah, definitely. And my generation is probably going to be paying a lot more into it, which sucks. But So a change would be nice. And yeah, um, we we don't want to be unfair to the younger generation
1: either because you didn't create the problem. Um, And well, a lot of the generations didn't create the problems the politicians and leaders did. Um, So it's kind of unfair to make everybody pay. And so that's why I say we're probably going to have to do something that somebody somewhere doesn't like because there's no way of pleasing everybody. But hopefully we find a solution that um, we'll take care of everyone and not put too much of the burden on the, uh, your generation um, uh, or the generation after that, or the next generation, we have to do something to fix it. And um, we also have to make sure that um, whatever we do, that Congress can't again come in and say, Oh, what? there's a, there's money here. Let's take it. We need to make sure that one can never happen again.
0: Yeah, for sure. And so Could you explain um, your campaign finance reform ideas? What do you support um, changing in the campaign finance? Yeah, so um,
1: a lot of people find the campaign finance laws to be confusing um, because they're told that, um, talking federally, um, they're told that you can give uh, as an individual total of Ah uh, two thousand eight hundred, but then they hear, um I think what was it the one last one that someone said was that in the two thousand and eighteen governor's race, um Phil Knight gave million dollars to Newt Bueller. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I'm just saying that was something that I recently heard, mm-hmm. and you're like, well, wait, how did he get around that maximum amount, and so we definitely need transparency is the number one thing any time anyone takes in any money or gets any assistance, we need to know where it's coming from so that we know who is financing or behind somebody. So in that case, there apparently is transparency if that's true, but there's not transparency in how that money was able to get to that individual probably through, I think, a pact. Um, So what we need to do is make sure that we understand where the money's coming from, where the money's going, and make it easier for people to find this information about the candidates and how they're raising the money, how they're spending it, um, and where it's coming from. A lot of it, I think, has to do with, because there is the caps on what individuals can do, I think a lot of it has to do with um, PACs and their associations with candidates, and a lot of that is murky, but we do also have to make sure we're not running afoul of the constitution either because we do have um you know the freedom of speech the freedom of assembly and things like that so we also want to make sure we're not going to run into violating those issues but we do we can work on transparency and and, and accountability
0: yeah so going forward to more of the issues and legislations you um listed on your website how are you going to compact combat sex and human trafficking so that is actually um
1: an interesting one because uh, i don't know uh, the wayfair thing i think has brought that kind of to the the forefront um and made it a little more um in people's minds um it is a huge issue and it's kind of a hard one um it's one of those ones that's done on the black market and one of the things we can do um and there are a lot of groups and nonprofits that work on this. And um, speaking with them and getting their ideas, excuse me, is a really good way to figure out because they're on the front lines. Um, but one of the things is um, educating, especially in the rural areas, um, but educating people who come into contact with children on how to look for signs um, of um, um, abuse or signs of sex trafficking. Um, teaching them um, like teachers and pastors, law enforcement, um, and just anyone really who um, is, comes into contact with kids, daycare workers, um, so that they can look for the signs. Because if you can catch it and then start a response team to it, then um, maybe we can rescue some of the, the kids from that situation, um, or maybe even catch it before they get drawn in completely into the so The dark side of the thing where they disappear, um, because um, what well, I just read that it's like 800,000 kids a year go missing,
0: it's oh. an awful
1: lot of children, yeah. Um, and it's a was it 64 billion or 94 billion dollar industry? So it's a big industry, it's sad that it's such a big industry, but um, and some of the stories you read will break your heart, <laughs> um, if you read them on what happens. So um, I think doing education programs, funding them so that um, we can educate um, people who are in contact with the kids. Oh, I think I forgot doctors. Um, So that when they come into contact with kids, they can recognize it and then have appropriate response teams. Um, So not just an average um, FBI agent or an average um, police officer, but someone who's trained specifically to deal with this, maybe some social workers or therapists who are trained specifically or nurses in these areas to go to response. Um, I think they tried to pass a bill, I don't think it worked um, in Oregon recently about a sexual response team to be with every DA's office and a sexual assault nurse who would be in the room um, when people are being questioned. Um, Having that type of thing, um, encouraging more female therapists is what, um, someone who worked in the industry um, and helping the industry not, working the, not in the second not in the back side of the industry someone who was helping rescue people so they need more female therapists because if someone's abused by a man it's easier for them to work with female therapists and there's not an awful lot in Oregon um so maybe doing some kind of um but most of this is gonna have to come from the funding side because the feds uh the congress we can't tell locals what to do we can't Um, But we can encourage by saying, well, we'll give you a grant to do this education program for you to educate uh, people who come into contact with children on how to look for signs. And we'll give you this grant to come up with a sexual response team. And we'll give you this this grant to come up with um, funding more female therapists. Um, And I know I sound like I'm spending a lot of money, um, (laughs) which is also kind of a thing because we need to whittle down our budget. But um, every time you spend money somewhere, you can always cut it somewhere. We have a lot of wasteful fin- spending um, that we can um, cut. And there's other things that we fund that aren't necessary. Um, and um, I I think if we were to go line item by line item on the budget, there's a lot we could cut mm-hmm. in order to cover paying for some of these things. Um, and... Um, there's just other areas where we could focus um you know um working with homeless teens and youth and things like that you can find some of these victims and um there's things like that um that you can do to try and combat it through that way um as well as you know regular law enforcement doing all these things i just was seeing an article just before i talked to you um and it listed several different instances where the police were able to arrest several people around the world in different um, raids and rescue some victims. And so um, obviously there's a lot more being done than in the past on this, which is good. Um, But there's always more we can do um, because basically it's modern day slavery and um, it's something that is horrible. And the more we can do to address it and maybe um, educate children. Also, you can do education, at the, the level, age-appropriate level for children to help them from becoming victims, things they can watch for um, in their internet activities or with um, friends and family, because sometimes that's who it is who's selling these kids, mm. uh, as horrible as that is. Um, you can uh, educate the children also on things that they can do and what it is they can do to protect themselves. Um, you wanna make it age-appropriate and you don't wanna obviously traumatize the kids in doing that, but there's different things providing sources, um, funding for that and working with the nonprofits, um, that, um, are doing that. Some of the nonprofits, um, I spoke with, um, Rising Dawn and Hope campaign. Um, and, um, they, um, were working to pass, um, an education bill, kind of like what I was talking about. And, um, they were um, gonna prepare the material and I believe they were gonna be teaching it for free or at low cost. Um, hopefully I'm not misquoting them. Um, but um, if you work with groups like that, you can also keep down the cost as they their um, nonprofits and they already have um, some funding sources, but um, obviously we can do grants to kind of come in where they're lacking so that we can do the different types of education where we educate the adults what signs to look for and how to deal with it once they find it. And then we can educate the children age appropriately without scaring them on things that they can do to avoid becoming victims too. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like it's more focused on education or you're, you're um, more focused on education. Would the current climate of like this narrative that the left is pushing that police brutality is prevalent in minority societies do you think that would hurt the chances to try to create a like human trafficking task force and how would you go about making it clear that like the task force is good people you know yeah the um that's
1: something it's kind of a very broad question to talk about the mm-hmm. the current climate um, with regard to the police. Because there there are tasks. Um, well, because given a lot of the raids have been going on, there are some law enforcement um, working on this issue, and we need to also encourage that. I didn't mean to just focus on education. I'm sorry. I just got mm-hmm. lost in a tangent. There also is that side where you need a task force um, to go after. You need the FBI. You need the um, the regular police departments and um, honestly, international police working on it. Cause it goes around the world and um, just America happens to probably be the center or the hub and the number one customer. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you need to be working with all those type of people to go after it from the law enforcement thing. And um, you know, it's it's kind of hard to change people's minds on what the perception is. All you can do is show the good results that they're getting, and that it's good people working on the task force. Um, You know, it's, you can't really change people's minds. Um, They're they're kind of locked in one way or the other on whether police are good or police are bad. Um, But we do need to do things in um, general to kind of reassure communities um, about what the police are doing. Um, I tend to believe most police are good as in any group of people you're gonna have bad apples. Um, although some groups tend to have more, um, more bad apples than others, but I don't think it's, that's the cop, not the cops that may be more politicians, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, th- but, um, the way you, you get rid of the bad apples isn't by defunding them. Um, if you defund them, you, um, basically it, they have seniority. So whoever was in last will be let go. And they may be the good apple, not the bad apple. Um, So really the funding isn't the way, first of all, they probably need more funding, um, more education, more training, more focused on things like that um, and more community outreach. Um, Maybe we need to look at how we investigate police when there's a complaint. Now the, the problem is, is you can't get to the point where there's false complaints um, issued against the police officer just because someone didn't like being arrested, even though they were clearly breaking the law or whatever it was they were doing, they didn't want to be arrested. So they're going to say, Hey, this guy roughed me up or did this and that and lie. Mm -hmm. People are capable of doing that. And sometimes they're going to be telling the truth, but maybe we need to look into how that's done. Um, one of my complaints about, um, the Oregon Bar Association is it's basically, uh, the lawyers police themselves. Um, So if someone makes a complaint about a a lawyer they think is misbehaving, um, it's other lawyers who look into that. And um, yes, lawyers need to be looking into it because they understand what a lawyer's responsibility is, what their, their obligations are, the rules and the laws and everything regarding that. But when you're policing yourself, you tend to be more. Well, actually, it depends on the type of personality you are. Some can be more liberal and give themselves a break. Oh, well, they were just having a bad day. Let's ignore it. And if some people can be more critical and be their worst critic. Um, But I think when we're looking at organizations like this, when it's they're looking at someone who's in the same profession, they tend to let things go more easily than they normally would have, um, because um, I don't know if it's a compassion thing. I, I don't know what it is. But I think, um, and this is just an idea, I don't know if it's feasible, but maybe allowing a community members to be involved in that process. Um, obviously, they were going to need to maybe do some police ride alongs and do some training so they understand a little bit about what police go through. But um, maybe having um, some community input in that process um, would help um, put some trend transparency into it and maybe help say okay well yeah this police officer didn't do anything bad because we had um our own community member was on there and they said no this was legitimate anyone would have done the same thing and um i i don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea um it's just an idea um but there's ways we can basically weed out the bad apples um because there's i mean once we weed out all the current bad apples in any organization, not just police, there's gonna be a new generation of people to come in and there'll be bad apples among them too. That's just the way of human nature. There's good and bad. And so it's gonna be a never ending process in any organization. And the police aren't gonna be any different in that they're gonna need a system that's gonna need to be adapted over time to change with technology and to change with things um, to weed out those who are bad. And um, um, I think the narrative is being more controlled right now by politics and what will help certain sides more so than maybe reality.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so how will you help um, Oregon find solutions for affordable housing? So one of the reasons why housing is
1: so expensive is because of all the costs involved in the housing. Um, uh, there, I, we need to go through and look at regulations to see what regulations are necessary and what is excessive. Um, Cause obviously we want to build safe housing. Um, it would be pointless to build unsafe housing. Um, but I think a lot of it just, um, we have too much expensive on it. And so every time you add a layer of expense, the cost, the final cost is going to go up um, because whoever's building it needs to be able to recoup what they put into it, plus make a profit. So going through and weeding out the regulation that isn't necessary for safety and isn't necessary for um, making sure that the building is going to withstand our climate, our weather, our potential for earthquakes or whatever that type of stuff is. Um, or requiring um, products that um, some regulations I think are just put in to benefit the regulator, whoever put in the regulations to benefit their buddy who works in a certain industry and that person will profit off of. So we need to kind of look what is important in far, as far as, reg, as far as making sure it's going to be a safe house and what is just adding extra costs that is not necessary. Because if it's going to cost way more than you're ever going to make a profit, why would you ever build um, an apartment complex or house? Um, And so that's one of the things that we can do um, for um, making housing um, more affordable at the local level.
0: Yeah. And could you give an example of a regulation that would benefit like a certain person? Well, I'm trying to think of a specific one. Um,
1: Like with um, electricity, you have to have a certain type of circuit breaker um, at a certain um, level. And um, it used to be a different way and now it's this way. And um, it's very possible that um, whoever makes that new particular circuit breaker um, was a lobbyist or campaign donor. And um, so with that new rule, they're going to benefit from it as opposed to the uh, old way of doing it. Mm.
0: Right. So just try to get government and regulations out as much as possible so that
1: yeah, free um, market it, then, can
0: just, yeah.
1: Yeah. The free market is always better. Um, went to lower costs. I mean, if you look at um, the more regulations, the more anything goes up in costs. And, um, you know, honestly, it just needs to be looked through to see. Um, There's other things that raise the cost um, other than building regulations. There's regulations on what landlords can and can't do um, that also causes landlords to have to go pay for an attorney. And if they have to pay for an attorney or they have to pay for extra insurance on something, they're going to pass that cost on to the renter. Um, So there's other types of um, things that can be looked at other than just building. That's just one of them.
0: Yeah, and... So speaking of housing, how will you help Oregon with its homelessness issue? So homeless
1: is a big issue and um, it's an individualized issue. Each person who is homeless has their own stories, their own reason um, and their own um, way they got there. Um, there's um, all kinds of different stories that from um, someone who got there because of drug addiction or alcohol addiction. Um, there are veterans who are homeless because of maybe PTSD. Um, there are people who are homeless because uh, they um, the, when the market crashed or something, they lost everything or um, medical bills bankrupt. There's all kinds of different reasons that lead someone to be homeless. So it's really, you really need um, local nonprofit groups and local people who understand the various reasons that cause homelessness to go in and find and meet each individual homeless person at their level and see if they want help to see if they if maybe they got into a rehab program they could get better or maybe if they just got job training assistance they could get a job and then move into um, housing and all kinds of different things. There might be some people who are homeless simply because they wanna be. um, And you can't force them, you can't force them to do what you want, but you maybe can limit where it is that they can be homeless. Like you can't be homeless on someone's front yard, that type of thing. Um, But there's also a mental health component and Oregon does not have a lot of mental um, health, help. Um, and so maybe incentivizing that with um, uh, money seems to be the number, way, number one way Congress can do things, either by offering it or by taking it away. It's like the carrot and the stick. Um, but I did hear that at one point, a, 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 I don't know if it was a nonprofit or for-profit, but it was non-union group wanted to put a mental hospital, I believe, in Wilsonville. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, they had to get um, some sort of certificate from the governor, and she refused to do it. Um, and the person I heard this from believed the only reason why was because it was non-union jobs, Um, and there's not a lot of, I don't know, um, mental health hospitals, mental health facilities. There's not a lot out there for people, and that is one of probably the biggest problems um, is there's not a lot of help for mental health issues, and so I think um, if the state got rid of Um, Something that allowed a governor to decide something solely for a political reason to help a group who donates to her as opposed to what the needs of that particular community are. Like, what did the people of Wilsonville want? I think would have been a better question. Um, And so um, maybe incentivizing the government to get rid of
0: unnecessary
1: rules and regulations or certificates so that there can be more um, mental health providers So that once you find out that the person who is homeless, it's because they have a mental health issue, they can then go to a a facility or go see a therapist and get the help they need to get back on track to um, being um, not homeless. It's important that you deal with it on the individual level, but you have to have the resources to handle once you find out what the individual reasons are. If you don't have the job training and the reason why the person isn't working anymore is because they're job went away and they don't know how to do anything else that anyone wants you're not going to be able to help that person so you need to have the resources available and so for as far as being a congressperson the majority of what we get to do is try to convince or incentivize the states um, and local governments to do these things and the way we do that is with either the carrot or the stick we either offer them money or we, we say well if you're not going to do what you're supposed to do we'll take away your money or not your money, we'll take away the federal government's money and give it to those who will do what we we need done, so.
0: Yeah, and a lot of the homeless are on the streets, like you said, because they want to be, because that's where the drugs are. So have you thought about how to fix Oregon's drug distribution problem? I actually
1: have not thought about that one. Um, I would be open to suggestions Um, A lot of that has to really be done, again, at the local level. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm more of, um, I believe states should really decide because each state, even each county, knows what's better for them and their residents than a bureaucrat or a politician back in Washington, Mm D.C. Now, I am the local representative for the district, so I can speak for CD3 if I get elected and so I could go back with what see people in CD3 say okay this is what we need in Multnomah this is what we need in Clackamas and we're different we need different things because we're different counties and this will help us and this will help us and then I can take that back put it into a bill and um hopefully get that type of thing through the rest of the congress and onto the senate and the president like I said it's a process mm-hmm. Um, but I really don't want to necessarily do a top down control thing to where it's the federal government who comes in and says, this is what you have to do here in the town of Esticator or in the city of Portland. You have to do what we say because we know best. Cause I don't think that's the way it works. I think who knows best is the people on the ground in that particular city.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. And so Going back to um, when you were talking about you being an attorney, you talked about how the justice system, we have the best justice system in the world. And I've never heard that, but I think you're correct because, I mean, the Constitution protects individuals due process and such. But um, there are obviously issues. And on your website, you talk about correcting the issues with the justice system. Could you talk more about that? So um, the president did um, some of that
1: with the First Step um, Act. And I think there's gonna be a second step. I'm Mm -hmm. Sorry, that sound kind of felt like a joke, but (laughs) I believe they are working on the second step. Um, The problem is it's always gonna be an ever evolving situation because sometimes when you correct something, it tends to go too far and then you have to go back the other way. Mm -hmm. Um, But some of the justice system problems um, simply, can just be by the facts. And one of the ones that drove me nuts was a biased judge. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, usually a biased judge goes unchecked because people don't have the money to appeal that um, judge. And um, if the judge gets the facts wrong, gets everything wrong, and then you just don't have the time or the money or don't want to hassle with it, you're like, whatever, we'll just settle and be done with it. Um, Or I'll just pay the whatever in the civil case or Uh, In the criminal case, if you don't have the way to appeal it, then you're kind of stuck and you're going off to jail. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, dealing with biased judges is kind of a, a hard one here in the state of Oregon. Our judges are supposed to be elected, but that's not usually what happens unless there's a brand new judge position that has no current judge in it, then there'll be a runoff. There's a multiple reasons why. One reason is if you are a lawyer, why would you go against a current sitting judge and have all the other judges be mad at you every time you go before them? Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that was one of the reasons why other lawyers don't run to be a judge, and the judge usually goes unopposed. Most people when they go to vote don't know who they're voting for, what that judge does. They don't know anything. They just see they're the incumbent and they vote for them. Um, but most of the time the judges get appointed and they get appointed by the governor, the governor sets up a board. And um, of people who will then go through, people who apply to replace the judge who retired, passed away, or for whatever reason why the judge left midterm. And um, they usually do leave midterm so that the governor can appoint the next person. Or there is an age limit, but usually if there's an age limit, you get to have an open election. And that's when you get two people running against each other, which I would prefer um, so some of the ways is we need more accountability and transparency. So we need some kind of system that lets people know what that judge has been doing during their last term so that um, when they're running for reelection, you know kind of how they rule on certain cases and what they do. Um, I know some counties, judges are specific, they're just a criminal judge, they're just a, a divorce judge or whatever, a button clack in this county. It was small that that's where I practice mostly. It was small and they just, the judges did all kinds of cases. Um, And so it would be nice to know kind of what they did while they were there. Um, And I think maybe being able to vote when a judge runs into polls, being able to vote yes or no, you can say, no, I don't want that judge so that you open up the seat and can get a competition. Um, One thing that we could maybe do is actually, um, I don't know if you would call it the Kate Brown rule or the Bev Clarno rule. Um, When um, Dennis Richardson unfortunately passed away, um, Governor Kate Brown um, said she would appoint a Republican to replace him as Secretary of State, but that Republican has to promise not to run in the next election. Mm -hmm. So if you could write, we could easily write that into the um, constitution I mean, not easily. You'd have to do the petition process, but we could get the people to vote on it and actually add that for judges. So if the governor has to appoint because a judge retires, we would say whoever she appoints will be just for the rest of that term, and they can't run for the election, so there's no incumbent running in that seat. Mm -hmm. And so that would leave it an open seat for anyone who wanted to run, so that whoever was going to run wouldn't be running against an incumbent, so they wouldn't have to worry about fears of reprisals or Whatever it is that prevents people from running against, because um, it's very rare for us to ever have someone run against a sitting judge, and that would then open it up for us to be an election, and then we can vet that new judge and find out about them before we put them. Before we, the people who vote for them, put them on the seat. And this, I'm going off on a tangent that really has nothing to do with being a Congressperson, but um, it has to do with fixing the justice system, which was the question. So. Um, but those are some ideas to deal with um, bias judging, which I think is um, a problem. Just like any profession, you have those um, bad apples, and that's what some of those ideas I said are ways you could deal with the bad apples when they happen to be judges.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good idea, the Kate Brown or Bev clarno rule. I think um, not having an incumbent judge that has only been there for like half a term, yeah. That was appointed and not elected by the people. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. And so my last question is to talk about repealing and replacing Obamacare. Um, Could you talk about how you would still protect coverage for those with pre-existing conditions? Well, basically, you just write that into the new law.
1: You would say that um, you can't deny someone with pre-existing condition. Um, when you're doing a policy, that can't be one of the reasons why you deny them. Um, You would need to write, you could write that into the law, which um, was written into the Obamacare law, along with a bunch of other stuff that was not good. Um, One of the the big problems with, with healthcare is we have too many people involved in it, where it's really not just coming down to the doctor and the patient anymore. It's, Um, I I just saw a group of doctors speaking um, earlier today, and one of them had said that a pharmacist could actually stop a patient from filling a prescription the doctor prescribed if it's that um, medicine, uh, the one I'm sorry, I have a hard time pronouncing it, the one that um, the president said was good for fighting um, Mm COVID-19 and everyone threw a fit because he said that and suddenly now it's not good. So, a lot of the governors had wrote laws restricting patients' access to it, and one of the ways this is they allowed the pharmacists to say, "Well, even if the doctor said that it 's okay for this patient, the side effects won't harm this patient or it's worth the risk because of what the patient could die from covid um, The pharmacists could actually stop and interfere with that um, and then uh, sh- insurance companies interfere with the coverage an awful lot. We need to find a way to get it back to the basic of the patient and the doctor figuring out what is the best care for this patient because everyone's an individual. Um, And so we need, this is again where you need less regulations, but not completely none. Because if you do completely none, you'll get to the situation where you're like, oh, well, you were covered when you worked over there, but you were out of work for two months. So now we're not going to cover you because you have diabetes or You have a thyroid condition or heart condition or whatever it is the person has. Um, And um, so that is one, so that's kind of why I always put it there. That's one we need to protect people with pre-existing, because a lot of people have some condition or another in this country. And I think they can even um, consider um, being overweight, um, a pre-existing condition for denial. (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm, at least I think it used to be, I mean, obviously not under Obamacare, um, Obamacare supposedly did away with that. So, um, but that's, um, uh, you know, lots of people have that. So my point is of putting that there is to reassure people that we want to make sure that that's not a reason why you're not having health insurance. Now, if someone doesn't want to have health insurance, I don't think we should force it on them. Hmm. Um, but they also need to understand that if they end up needing it and they go in and get care, the taxpayers shouldn't also pay for them deciding not to have something either. Um, so that's why, um, it would be important for someone to have some form of health insurance because you don't want to end up going bankrupt because you got like a 18,000, um, hospital bill just for being in the ER for three hours. Um, so we need to look at medical costs too, not just in um, health insurance also. Um, medical costs seem to keep going up and up. And so that needs to look in to see what causes that to increase and what we can do. Because um, I was just thinking that a three hour hospital bill costing 18,000 seems really high,
0: mm-hmm. um, but
1: I have seen that type of bill before. Um, so, um, but yeah, opening up markets across state lines is an idea um, that always sounds good. Um, basically, less restrictions and more free market ideas, I think, are what will help save um, health care. I am fundamentally opposed to the government ever taking it over because I can't think of one thing the government runs effectively, effectively, the federal government. I can't think of anything. I mean, before President Trump came on and did some bills to help with the, the VA, look at how horrible veterans care was. I mean, veterans were literally dying before they were even able to get in to see um, doctors. A cancer that was treatable suddenly became terminal, Mm -hmm. or not suddenly, over time because of bad care. Um, They don't even run the post office well, which is just delivering them out. Mm -hmm. So, um, having the government in charge of care would lead to the government deciding who should be treated and who shouldn't like, Oh, well, you're 95 years old, you've had a good life, we're not going to give you your chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. Um, But you're 30 years old, and we still need you to go work and pay our taxes. So we're going to take care of you. I mean, it could get really bad having the government decide whose life is important or what medicine can be treated and how and why. Um, The government just does not do good with much. And so I think, having them involved and deciding our healthcare decisions, just, yeah, I don't want them. I don't know about you, but I don't want them involved in my healthcare at all.
0: Yeah, I agree. And that's a good place to stop. Um, That's the end of my questions. Are there any, is there anything else you want to say? Yeah, um, I appreciate you um, taking the time to do this interview
1: and giving me um, a lot of time to talk. Um, I appreciate that. And like I said, I'm open to ideas. So if you have an idea on what you think um, term limits should be or any of these other topics, um, I'd love to hear from you or any of your um, listeners. Um, I, I, my website is um, joanna 4 Um That's J-O-A-N-N-A, the number 4, Oregon.com. Um And um, I'd appreciate people's input, um, anyone who can afford a donation. It's gonna be a very difficult battle. Um, He has lots of money in his reserve and the ability to earn more millions more if he wanted to. Um, So I appreciate all the help I can get. It is an uphill battle. And um, I would not have done this race if I didn't think I could do the job and do a good job. Um, I have always been interested in politics and I can read through bills and understand them um and i know i can represent this district and do some good for it and make some much needed changes i just need the chance to do it
0: we hope you enjoyed the episode please share and like us on facebook and instagram and please consider donating by visiting our website listed in our podcast bio